Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation on finding joy in all things with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. We have with us Sarah Otto, who is on the pastoral team of Ignatius House, and Carl McCullman, an author, spiritual director, and a friend of Ignatius House. Carl will open our conversation with some initial thoughts on our topic, but I first ask Sarah to open us in prayer. Go ahead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God of creation, this season of Lent begins with the reminder as ashes are placed on our forehead, from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. Help us to remember the story of how we began. When out of love and longing, you formed us from dust and blew life into us. Breathe life into us this season. Remind us of our original joy of simply being with you, of living without shame, of knowing we are loved. Help us to remember. Amen. Thank you, Andy and Sarah, for inviting me to be part of this conversation tonight. And I thought I would lead off by telling a little story out of the Irish tradition. Um, I have a real soft spot in my heart for the Irish tradition. McComan is a Scottish name, but the Scots and the Irish, you go back far enough, they were just all one tribe anyways. But the story involves St. Bridget. St. Bridget, of course, was the abbess of a large monastery in the town of Kildare. And, and part of what was remarkable about it is that it was a monastery that had both men and women in it under her spiritual leadership. Um, and But this particular story simply involves Bridget and two of her nuns, I guess they were younger nuns, may have been novices, uh, and they were traveling. And they were traveling in a part of Ireland that had not yet been Christianized. Now, Bridget's father was uh, a chieftain. He was a member of the Irish nobility. And so Bridget kind of knew her way around the um, the kind of the upper crust of Irish society. And they came to the home of a pagan chieftain. Bridget was familiar with this person. She was able to uh, get invited, she and her sisters, in for hospitality, to, to have a meal with the family and then to have a place to stay for the night. So the three of them sit down, and, and I don't know if I mentioned, but this is during Lent. So the three of them sit down with the family at the dinner table, and lo and behold, the meal consists of three uh, slices of bacon. And the two younger uh, sisters immediately began to protest. Well, I'm sorry, I won't be able to eat this. This is uh, a violation of our Lenten fast. And the story goes that as soon as they started complaining, Bridget stood up, grabbed each one of these younger sisters, one by each arm, I suppose, walked to the front of the, um, the house, the door, threw them unceremoniously, threw them out of the door, walked back to the table, sat down and said, my Lord, I apologize for the lack of courtesy on the part of my two sisters. Clearly, they do not understand hospitality. Mm -hmm. So, it's an interesting story, and I think a story that sometimes 
uh, we might even, you know, find a little shocking that this woman who's considered a great saint of the church, one of the patron saints of Ireland, would be so cavalier in disregarding the Lenten fast. But as the story makes very clear, Bridget was not in any way dismissing her Lenten observance, but she felt that it was a higher calling to receive the hospitality of this of this host who wasn't even a Christian. So there was no reason to expect him or his family to observe the Lenten fast. Uh, but Bridget felt that it would have been that the violation of hospitality would have actually been a greater fault, if you can call it a fault, than uh, than breaking the Lenten fast. And so I tell this story not only to slide a little bit of Irish tradition into the conversation tonight, but to really suggest that that you know to approach this topic, this topic of the joy of Lent, might involve looking at Lent from from some new or different perspectives. And the next thing I'd like to do is actually play a little bit with etymology. I'm I'm a little bit of a word geek myself. And this word Lent, I I was asked to to give a, a talk on Lent at a church. Oh, this is a number of years ago now. And and as I was preparing for it, you know, I just asked myself, I said, self, why do we call it Lent? Where does that word come from? And I did a little bit of research and, and discovered that it actually comes from an old Germanic word that is associated with spring. And that furthermore, the etymology of the word, the history of the word is actually related to our word, our English words, length or lengthen. So, okay, what, what does that involve? And then what I learned was that the focus was on the fact that the days are lengthening during the season of Lent. So from Ash Wednesday to Palm Sunday to the Holy Week to the Triduum, every day is getting longer than the day before. That is a constant that is true year after year after year. So Lent is this time of moving toward spring. The spring equinox always occurs during Lent or during Holy Week. But between Ash Wednesday and Easter, you'll always have the spring equinox. So Lent is a time of bringing us out of darkness into light. And I think that's a really important way to frame kind of the normal conversations we might have about Lent. Lent is a time of fasting or abstinence. It is a time of almsgiving. It is a time of prayer. There seems to be this focus on discipline. And I think all of that is, is certainly true. That's what Lent is. But there's this idea that that discipline, that time of challenge, is held in this paradox of the days are getting longer. We're moving out of winter into spring, out of darkness into light. And so the invitation that I see that Lent offers us is this invitation. Well, well, here's one other thing I will say. You know, Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, which is a time of remembering our own mortality. Remember, O human, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then holding Lent and, and Holy Week together, where does it take us to? It takes us to Good Friday and to that horrific moment of Jesus's death. 
So Lent begins and ends with a focus on mortality, a focus on death, which can be very difficult, maybe scary even. But there's this idea that we hold both of those cradled in this time of lengthening light, this time of growing out of darkness into light. So as we know from the Triduum, Jesus' crucifixion is not the last word. Lent always ushers us into the Paschal mystery and into Easter. So how does all of this tie in with joy? Well, let me just finish, and then maybe we can have some conversation here, but finish by suggesting that when we look at the, the three qualities associated with Lent, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. You know, fasting gets all the press. You know, you, what are you giving up for Lent? Don't eat meat on Fridays. You know, go to the fish fry, et cetera, et cetera. Fasting always gets the press. But I think the real heart of Lent is prayer. And prayer, as we all know, is about deepening our relationship with God, getting closer to Jesus, getting closer to the one who loves us and who created us out of love. And so almsgiving or generosity, fasting or uh, some form of, of giving up or simplification all emerge out of this, this heart of, of intimacy with God, growing in, in our love, our response to the love of God. And so when I think about that, it always makes me think of the fruit of the Spirit, that I see the fruit of the Spirit as kind of how we can calibrate our journey into the heart of God, our journey into intimacy with God. And joy, of course, is the second fruit, right after love. And so uh, I'll finish by saying that I think anything that we talk about involving Lent, whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting, whether it's almsgiving, you know, abstinence, any, any of these, these qualities— that um, the, the purpose is to, is to bring us to joy, is to bring us to love, to bring us to all the fruits of the Spirit, which are the fruits of having a relationship with God. And so if we're not either experiencing joy or finding ourselves being drawn towards joy, just like Lent draws us to the light, then maybe we need a little bit of recalibration. So, um, you know, and maybe, maybe like, um, like uh, St. Bridget, there may be some things that are even more important than some of those disciplines that we've grown used to. So there you go. Lent and joy. It's a great topic. Thanks, Carl. You know, I, I love that. Um, it's so true, the lengthening of days. And, um, you know, perhaps the pandemic has made Lent um, more real i don't know for for a lot of folks and i can tell you these cold days and rainy dark days um with kids at home we are looking forward to the summer we're already talking about a beach trip so um i, I love that idea that the that it's what is it drawing you what are you being drawn toward um and uh, there's this great metaphor that margaret Silf, uh, ignatian author uh, asks are you being drawn or are you being driven? And I think Lent for a lot of folks are, is, is this like being driven, this kind of suffering for suffering's sake, but not really knowing, mm. well, why are we suffering or why are we yeah. making any sort of sacrifice? Rather, are we being drawn to, to use the season, the seasonal metaphor, the light, right? Yeah. The light, which is, which is Christ, you know? Good. The lengthening days, which symbolizes in a natural way the triumph of the light, the the you know the growth of the light 
in the world with the coming of spring, but also in our heart as we receive that love. So, you know, I had the thought uh, yesterday, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give away my age. This is the first year that I can be excused from from the Ash Wednesday fast. I, mm-hmm. I actually turned 60 a couple of months ago. And, you know, and I thought about it yesterday and I, I was still observing the fast. But um, but Fran and I were watching uh, an episode of Star Trek Discovery last night. You know, it's about 10 o'clock at night. And I said, you know, I, I'd like a Clementine. And she's like, well, what about your fast? And I said, well, I am 60, so I think I think I can I can get by with a Clementine. So we kind of laughed about it. But then what I also had this this thought that, you know, any of our Lenten observances, they're they're a practice, not a punishment. A practice, not a punishment. Mm-hmm. One of my most favorite memories of Ash Wednesday was about 10 years ago when I was in grad school. Um, I was pretty involved in prison ministry and um, I spent Ash Wednesday going to Suffolk County House of Corrections in downtown Boston. Um, And it was this beautiful experience of going unit to unit, um, cell to cell and distributing ashes to all of these inmates. And it was this incredible sight. You know, Andy, you said, what are you moving towards to see men who were sleeping, who were in, you know, the dark corners of their cells when they heard the guards yell ashes out on the floor come from their beds to their windows immediately. And I mean, they just, they flocked to me and this religious sister who were there. Um, And it was such a beautiful reflection for me as we walked through each unit to then at the end see all of us marked, both prisoner and free, marked with the same symbol. And Carl, you said we face our mortality in this season and that can be scary, but that can also be incredibly freeing, that we are human, um, that we will die, that we will make mistakes. And there's there's no separation in us in that. And, and, and so it was this draw towards community, this draw towards, um, yeah, our, our humanness, our mortality. Um, but I just, I loved that they longed to be marked and I was marked in the same way as they were. Um, and then on the other extreme, you know, we, we do have two little kids and our four-year-old loves Ash Wednesday. She loves it. And she just thinks it's so cool when we all have the ashes on our head. And she doesn't yet have a sense of that sense of repentance. It's it's just seeing we're we've all got the same mark on our forehead, and she thinks that's so cool. Um, and it's a reminder for me that yeah, that there is that need and that that joy in being humble that we're marked, that we're human, that we're mortal, um, and we forget that when we let our ego and our pride separate us from one another. And so both. Both prisoner and child have been such powerful symbols for me of the joy in this season. And and Carl Rahner, he has an essay on the joy of laughter. And he says, you know, laughter is a reminder that we are human. And we let go of our ego and remind ourselves that we are not God. And what a gift that is that we can acknowledge that in this season and go back to being little and free um, 
even paradoxically when you're imprisoned to know that yeah. we, we are all marked by God. And we're all in prison in some way, shape or form. Obviously, not all of us physically, all of us have the privilege of social freedom. But there are still prisons in our heart, prisons in our memories. And I think the, um, you know, what I see, the good news of Ash Wednesday and Good Friday is, yes, you know, we are all going to die. But also that the joy that is promised to us is not a fake joy. It's an honest joy. It is a joy that reckons with mortality and suffering and limitation and brokenness. That, that the joy God promises us, and I don't want to say in spite of, but in the midst of our humanness and, and our brokenness, the joy is, is the gift that is given. And so I, I find that, you know, very, very comforting as, as somebody who has experienced, you know, the loss of a child. Um, I know, you know, that, that even, even in the most heart-wrenching moments of my life, there has always been the capacity, number one, to trust in God, and number two, to find glimmers of joy. You know, um, my daughter on her deathbed was talking about a party for a friend of hers who was about to turn 16. Mm -hmm. Well, Fran and I were stunned, you know, but that was who she was. You know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm dying and, and it hurts and I, I'm suffering and I don't like any of that. But Rachel's about to turn 16 and isn't that great? Let's talk mm -hmm. about, you know. And so I, I, I only hope I have a, a, a fraction of that grace when my time comes. <laughs> There's this song that Sarah and I discovered a couple of years ago by this artist, uh, Page 116, uh, called Fast From Feast On. And it's a Lenten, it comes from a Lenten album, you know, and it's, it's like the lyrics are like fast from discontentment and, and so on. Feast on the, the love of God the joy of the spirit, you know, and I just love that sort of reframing um, kind of what, what you talked about the story of Bridget of, of hospitality, you know, feast on hospitality. Yeah. Um, and what an opportunity, even on Ash Wednesday, kind of going off of what, what Sarah said about the, the what's drawing people. We've just noticed time and time again that People come out of the woodwork to go to Ash Wednesday Mass or to receive ashes who may not go to church any other time of the year. And I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe you have some insight, Carl. Maybe, Sarah, it's what you said about this, like being drawn. There's something about our mortality. But um, what an opportunity for the, for the church to extend and feast on that hospitality and to see kind of the larger the larger church, the larger body of Christ who may not be in the pews every yeah, week. Yeah. I, I, I do think it has to do with, with the fundamental honesty. I, th I think we live in a culture that, that tends to deny death. And, and Ash Wednesday kind of flies in the face of that. You know? And so, so I think there is something very archetypal there. That keeps people coming back, you know, and, and even if they don't make it to mass, they might show up somewhere just to get get the ashes, you know, imposed upon them. So um, so I, I have a, a theological question for the two of you, because you're better theologically educated than I am. But um, do you understand that the Sundays during Lent are not fasting days or days of self-denial? 
Yeah, that was the day when you were little and you gave up candy, then you could just, you know, gorge on it and have your free pass. But um, yeah, I think that that fast from feast on is a reminder that, yeah, the, the life of faith isn't about this, you know, beat yourself up, um, deny yourself all the, the graces and joys that every, every Sunday in our, in our tradition mm-hmm. is a feast day. And so often we lose sight of that. Um, and even in Lent, um, even in a season where we are facing our mortality, like you said about your daughter, even days before death, there's something to celebrate. Um, and so, yeah, it's not about getting a free pass and gorging on candy as I did as a child. Um, but really just reminding us that every, like this life is a gift, no matter how hard, there's still something to celebrate. Um, and uh, you may not have heard this because I think it was when my my connection froze up, but I was talking about how I see the, the Lenten discipline, it's a practice, not a punishment. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so, so, so take, what do they say? Every Sunday is a mini Easter, you know? Have that Easter moment, even in the midst of the Lenten desert. Mm-hmm. I think I think that is that's really a beautiful a beautiful thing. It's not a free pass. It's it's a reminder that we are always an Easter people, mm-hmm. even while we're traveling through the desert. And I think that that's an important thing. I'm with you both on that. Um, I think we have gotten away we've gotten away from the liturgical rhythms of, of feast days. I remember when I was. Um, I was in the seminary in the, in the Jesuit novitiate um, on feast days, whether it was a Sunday or whether it was a special feast day during the week, we would have a nicer meal. You know, yeah. we, we would bring out the nice liquor too. you know, um, <laughs> we would celebrate. I mean, it would yeah. be it would be a liturgical and um, literal feast celebration. And um, we've just gotten away from that. And I think about our four year old daughter who. She wants a treat every day, and every day, it's, mm. and we say, it's not a treat if you have it every day, <laughs> right? Um, you know, the, the excuses that we even as adults make to, yeah. uh, to feast every day. You can't know feast if you don't know famine. You can't yeah. really know joy if you, if you never know suffering. Well, and, and I think the history of the season of Lent you know, of course, Christianity coming in the Northern Hemisphere, Lent happens at the end of winter. You know, in an agrarian culture, this was often a time when the supplies were running low. So the fast was very practical at this time of year because there wasn't a lot to feast on. So, you know, we now live in a culture of such abundance, you know, and we, it may be winter in the Northern Hemisphere, but we fly food in from the Southern Hemisphere, you know, and so we've lost that sense that you really do need to kind of, you know, kind of measure out how much flour you've got to make sure you have enough to last. And I mean, even, even, I mean, my grandparents, you know, we're alive in the Great Depression. So they would have had some sense of that. But, you know, especially about the last 50 or 60 years, it's for, you know, obviously not for everybody, you know, but for those of us who who enjoy economic privilege, you're right, we've kind of lost, lost some of that, you know, that sense that, that there can be grace, even, even in simplicity, and even in want, not that want is something we should, we should go after, but that if that is where we find ourselves, 
God has not abandoned us even in that even in that time. So. I, I do think it's true that, yeah, we we feast too much on the comforts and the, the things we turn to other than God. But I do think there's a real significance in um I mean, I just think of how much scripture uses the metaphor of a feast and a banquet and how many excuses we give to not go to the banquet. And I think of the the parable of the great wedding banquet when all the invitations are sent out and all those who are invited have excuses that they have work to do or they need to go home and take care of their family. Um, We have lots of excuses we give for not feasting on God's love for we have excuses for why we're not worthy enough. Um, yeah. I, I was praying with the the parable of the prodigal son today, and and just yeah, the older son refuses to go into the party. I think so much of us live in that negative image of ourself that then we project onto God, and we give excuses for why we can't go in. Um, and so to really believe, no, God longs deeply for our joy. God longs yeah. deeply for us to come to the party, um, but we often don't feel like we're worthy. Uh, yeah, I, I think of God as as looking for excuses to celebrate, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. look, looking for reasons to say yes and to say mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation, that God is is actively there, you know, trying to build those connections and, and find those moments of joy even in the midst of Lent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was struck with just, you know, the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son all strung together. And each one, he called his friends and his neighbors to have a party and to rejoice. You know, like there is this sense of, yeah, whatever it is, let's throw a party. There's something that to celebrate. We can find um, a reason to celebrate everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's context too, right? Everything's in the context of God's love. And so like, you know, even when we, when we think about Lent, right? Lent doesn't make sense without Easter, you know, in the spiritual exercises, the third week where you're praying with the passion and death of Christ doesn't make sense. You know, it's in the context of the fourth week, which is the resurrection. Same with meditation on sin. It's in the context of God's mercy. And I think that's, it's easy for us, uh, um, I don't know, Catholics who were, were easy to sort of self-flagellate um, rather than seeing sort of the larger, the picture, the promise, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so hooray for conversations like this. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's try, to, try to hold that, you know, and kind of almost let that be. You know, maybe this year for Lent we can give up that impulse to self-flagellation. You know, and replace it with an impulse to simplicity, you know, simply kind of clearing the clutter so that we can create that space in our hearts to have that encounter with the God who loves us lavishly, the God who enjoys us and who invites us to enjoy God. And that that really is the invitation here. And I think it is humbling in a way, you know, yeah, oh, I don't deserve this. But it's not about what I deserve. It's about the God who longs to give. And I think when we can keep keep that focus, then it becomes easier to say yes and to accept the gift that's being offered. Mm. I wonder if there uh, is a way to conclude if, uh, 
if you could each share maybe a Lenten practice that you have done in the past, uh, and then how has that changed? And and Carly kind of talked a little bit about it now, but for you personally, if there is a particular practice or, or um, maybe certain lenses you put on during Lent. Um, I, I mean, I can speak first for myself, you know, um, it usually would have been giving up something and I would have been very strict about the, the fast and the meatless Fridays and so on. But then I would gorge the, <laughs> the remainder of the week. And um, I think it's, it's really just in the last several years where um, I'm more concerned about who I am, you know, mm-hmm. in God and who God is shaping me to be. And so I, my Lenten practice is more about my attitude, my disposition how I love and care for other people. Um, and so for me, Lent kind of puts on maybe it's kind of binoculars uh, in a sense to kind of notice those things more and notice those places that, that I need to grow. You know, um, I'll, I'll share with you a thought that I had, and I haven't necessarily put this into practice. I'm not even sure how you would, but I, I just had this interesting thought and maybe you know, you guys can respond and offer your perspective. But, it, you know, I love the idea that that the liturgical year is scalable, you know, that like you've got you've got the Sabbath one day out of seven, but then you've got time for silence or contemplation each day. That's like your Sabbath time during the day. And then going on retreat is like your Sabbath for the whole year. And so the thought that occurred to me was, Maybe Lent is like the examine of the liturgical year. That that Lent is a f- like a forty day examine. Mm-hmm. Now again, you know, you talk about well, you're not necessarily reviewing the year. So so in that sense, maybe the analogy breaks down. But I do think of Lent, and you know, maybe this goes back to your question. You know, what 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 have have been meaningful practices for me. I think of Lent as a as a time of mindfulness and of paying attention. You know, paying attention to my own mortality, paying attention to my hunger for God. I think that's really the point behind any fast or abstinence observance. Whether you're giving up chocolate or you're giving up scotch or you're giving up um, social media, you know, a lot of people sign off on Facebook, um, whatever it might be. It's like create that hunger as a metaphor for the deep existential hunger for the God who loves us. And, um, you know, and so I think now, like, you know, when I do touch, you know, like yesterday or or again on Good Friday, when I touch those days of fasting, what I'm really interested in is feeling the hunger. Uh, But again, not because I'm a bad person and I deserve to be punished but because I know it reminds me of that that deep, deep soul-level hunger for God that's really with me all the time. And knowing that the satisfaction of that hunger is nothing less than the love and joy of God. Yeah, I, um, I've just come to appreciate um, this call to simplicity in Lent more and more each year. Um, but more as an opportunity to then savor something. Um, and so that the, yeah, the imagery of feasting really does appeal to me in that 
so often I am pulled in different directions and my attention is divided. And so I, I do try to use social media less during um, Lent, especially because I, I notice, you know, why am I on my phone when I've got an 18 month old right in front of me who's just fascinating to watch? And I, you know, I'm, I'm drawn to my phone over that. That makes no sense. How how can I savor more this this wonder in front of me? Um, and then I also used to really pile on expectations for my prayer life in Lent. Um, but I, I then, you know, didn't enjoy it as much and was just kind of checking things off the list. And so really trying to scale back and just die. I mean, I'm a scriptural girl. And so just to dive in and savor the day's gospel and yeah. pray with it and sit with it and um, not have to read commentary on it or someone else's words, but just be with God in that. Um, so yeah, feast on the simple things is really how I approach it. Sounds good. Wonderful. Well, thank you both, um, for this lovely conversation. Um, it's, it's always good to reframe things and re reimagine. That's what God does. That's how creation works. So, um, Lent is certainly a time of creating and recreating. Um, so thank you both. And thank you all for joining us this evening. Um, we invite you to watch past conversations on our Facebook page or listen to them on the people of hope podcast. Our next conversation will be on March 18th. We hope you can join us then. In the meantime, visit us at ignatiushouse.org slash Lent to learn about how you can enrich your Lenten season with us on retreat or online. Wish you a very joy-filled Lent. Be well and have a good night. Thanks for listening. Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at ignatiushouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.